Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is the driver for success, growth, and well-being. Learn or expire and keep your Azure skills up to date. Act now by going to solveto.fi. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I've realized that after we moved to our new house a couple of months ago, I've spent a lot of time decluttering and doing this sort of conmary style segregation of stuff, getting rid of the things I, I think I'm going to need anymore. But I'm now left with a dilemma. I trust you have a solution for this. I have about 12 boxes of important gadgets, cables, adapters, widgets, and thingies. And I don't really need them now, but I fear I might need them one day. Uh, I also do not want to throw them away. So what do you do with stuff like this? As, as an example, I have a 100 meter, which is about what, 300 feet stack of ethernet cable without the connectors. Should I, you know, need <laughs> to do my custom cable? And I have no idea what to do with stuff like this. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question and, and a good observation. Similarly, I'm also cleaning out things right now. And like these boxes, I have them. I had them more. And right now, when I went through my things, um, the only thing that remains is an old NAS server, like a Synology server that I have, or actually two of them laying around that I haven't used for years. So there is a purpose with those. I will re, uh, reconnect them to take a look at what's on the disks and what's running there, see if I need to save anything, which I'll then persist to the cloud and then just donate these devices to to someone who's in greater need of them. But like the stack of cables and stuff like this, I stopped saving them. And that took a lot. Like it took took a lot of decision power, if you will, to to do that. Because I I had exactly the same, oh, here's an old keyboard. Maybe I will need it sometime in the future. I even recently, when I cleaned up things, I found these PS2 connectors, like the the old keyboard oh, yeah. connectors with yeah. the green uh, that, that were green. And then you had the I think purple ones for the mouse, or if it was the the vice versa, for the like the super old connectors. I had those. It's 2022, and I had those, and I haven't had a tower PC in at least 10 or 12 years. Like it's, I think 2000 or 2000, um, or sorry, um, um, 2010 around there. I I just got rid of all my desktop machines and just went over to laptops 100%. So anyway, my story is similar, I guess. I'm cleaning out my house and unused things, uh, giving things away to those who need it better than we do. And I'm looking to get into a really nice Zen mode in my office, you know, adding more plants and more green stuff and getting some new furniture so I can really utilize the full space here. I have a nice area for the home office here, which is really nice, but I don't feel I'm using it optimally. So to kind of optimize the space we have in our house, uh, I want to make that more into a lounge area so the kids can come hang around and we can spend more time that way as well. Not just using it as an office, but actually using it for something more. So, so that's it. Not much going on here other than optimizing the everyday experience of working from home. Sounds good. So definitely after we're done recording this episode, I will go through one more box and I've gone through them all like three times, but I will go through one more box and just five items that I will never ever need again and get rid of those. Alrighty, so today we are talking about the design for sustainability with the Azure Well-Architected Framework. So we've had 
plenty of episodes on the Azure Well-Architected Framework, or WAF, not the web application firewall in this context. And recently, Microsoft released the guidance for designing sustainable workloads. And I haven't really had a great chance to look at this. I've spent a bit of time on sustainable efforts and projects with a couple of customers. But Toby, I, I think you are more in the know on this one. So, so what are sustainable workloads? Why should we care? Uh, great question. So uh, this episode is, yeah, let's, let's cover the grounds of what was released, what this guidance is, and what sustainable workloads are. And just to kind of give the brief there, sustainability is a term that is intermixed with other terms. You can also use green IT, for example. Uh, or cloud efficiency, which is more targeted to making your cloud more efficient, which can also be sustainability. So that's really what we're talking about here. And like the term workload, if we say sustainable workloads, the term workload is like a collection of application resources. So if you build a solution, uh, you know, whatever uh, resources you put in there that supports your application, that can be considered a workload. So it can be a web app, it can be your storage account, it can be your uh, web application firewall, you know, whatever you like the components part of your architecture, if you will. So that's kind of the workload. So it can be your APIs, data stores, and, and stuff like that, parts of the whole solution. And sustainability, we really refer to the environmental impact of the workloads. Uh, so whatever we do deploy to the cloud, how sustainable are they? And, and what impact do they have on the cloud or on the environment? Uh, and therefore, a sustainable workload uh, is kind of the practice of designing solutions that maximize utilization while minimizing waste. So ultimately, what we want to do is reduce the footprint on the environment. So that's kind of what a sustainable workload is. To really, whatever you plug into Azure, whatever you deploy into Azure, that needs to be deployed uh, or should be deployed in an optimal way. So you really optimize it and, and kind of reduce waste. So you don't leave unnecessary things running because that ultimately leads to more carbon emissions and that impacts the climate. And, you know, the more people become aware of this and can take action, even if it's really small steps in optimizing your workloads, all of that helps driving, you know, the big initiative for sustainability that the, the entire world is looking at right now. So that's kind of the short story of what a sustainable workload is. Okay, makes makes sense. So. We did one episode on, on mission-critical workloads. So as I understand it now, we have the well-architected framework, which has the, is it five pillars? Yes. And then you have on the side, you have the workloads like mission-critical and hybrid and IoT and SAP. And now sustainability is one of the new ones in terms of workloads. Am I getting this right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, oh. and And that's kind of... You know, I, th I think this guidance is going to keep evolving. So whatever you see inside of those workloads, whatever you see in this guidance, that's something that is, it's not point in time recommendations, but this is something that is going to continue to grow. So all of the sections you just listed, including sustainability, that's something that's going to evolve. And there's going to be more and more up-to-date recommendations as, you know, the, the climate evolves, as the green IT and sustainability kind of concept grows with customers as well. There's going to be more stuff coming in there. Okay, makes sense. Uh, I, I think when I'm using Windows 11 as as my daily driver on on all of my devices, I think I get the sustainability reminder anytime I press Windows I to go to settings, then I click Windows Update, 
and there's the small green leaf that consider the environment when you run updates, perhaps optimize your reboots for a period of day when electricity might be more sustainable, if you will. And, and it's, it's nice, but it's still fairly small as an end user. But perhaps now when we're talking about the workloads uh, becoming sustainable, we are also talking about having this conscious idea of when you deploy something to also consider the additional aspects of sustainability. So, so who is this and, and, and what is this guidance and who is it for then? Is it, is it for end users? Is it for customers? Is it for partners or, or anybody? That's also a great question. And maybe that's something to start off with. I, I would say this guidance is for everyone. Uh, and by everyone, I really mean IT decision makers, architects, developers, or anyone that can impact your design decisions, really. Anyone involved in building something for Azure, anything that gets deployed, anyone that has impact on how you architect things, anyone who has impact on the decisions you make along those lines, like what should you deploy, how should you deploy it, what kind of investments are you making, and into what this guidance is relevant for them to understand. So it's like directly tangible recommendations and actionable advice for your Azure workloads. And this is, like I mentioned before, it's continuously evolving, right? So there's always new recommendations coming in. There's going to be updates to this uh, happening as well. And I think one thing to kind of highlight here is that the guidance directly ties into something uh, called the Green Software Foundation or the GSF. Uh, and members of the GSF have helped shape this guidance. So it's a collaborative effort with people in, from the field, partners, like you mentioned as well. Uh, it's rooted in customer engagements and then with the help of, of members in GSF. And, and some of those members are Microsoft employees, but then there's employees of you know, a vast, um, you know, a, a big pool of different companies and organizations and individuals across the globe who's really pulling their efforts and contributing to, to making the, the world a better place and really pushing the practice of green software. So the Green Software Foundation has been a, a big portion and influence on these recommendations that come now into the Azure Well-Architected Framework Sustainability Workload Guidance. And the reason I think that's important to mention is that this is not something that you know Microsoft cooked up uh, saying that this is how we want to drive things. This is rooted in real engagements with real customers based on real dialogues and things that we see customers asking for. In collaboration with the Green Software Foundation, who's also collaborating on a bunch of other initiatives. So I uh, like that's kind of the high level of the guidance. It's for anyone, but decision makers, IT decision makers, architects, developers are a big portion of, of whoever uses this guidance because it has that direct, tangible, actionable recommendations that you can really start optimizing your workloads right now if you start using the guidance. Okay, okay, I'm 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 buying the idea definitely. So, am I correct in in then sort of assuming that whenever I look at the well-architected framework, I can also pick whatever topic from WAF, let's say something from security, and then I could look at the workloads in terms of sustainability. That yes, I am thinking of of federated identities in Azure AD but should I think about sustainability? And I know it doesn't have a one-to-one -one match on every bit. It would be impossible to maintain, but is, is this sort of the approach, how you're thinking that first look at WAF, then when you're more or less clear on what you're trying to achieve, then move on 
to sustainability as a workload and and try to optimize it further if you will yeah that that's a great question as well what i would recommend is because it's a set of recommendations and it's it's very concise and direct recommendations it's not like you have to walk through a, a thousand documents to to understand this what you can do is you can just open open the guidance and go directly to the recommendations and get like build yourself an understanding around them and then as you progress through your projects like with a federated identity or whatever it is that you're doing you have this at the back of your mind like okay we know we can customize things or optimize things really in these specific areas because the guidance is talking about that so exactly what you see here if you're working in a specific area or you're working with security or you're trying to optimize something and you're going to deploy new security workloads head on over to the sustainability guidance there's a design area called security uh, and then you can see if there's something in there that you can start leveraging in making the right decisions because there are uh, like trade-offs and considerations for deploying certain things within the security space and similarly there there are other design areas as well uh, and these different design areas then talk about different types of recommendations and then there's also the Azure well architected framework sustainability assessment and I know we talked about a various set of the, the different assessments in the past in the podcast so there's now a new assessment where you can assess your sustainability posture if you will so that's also a great place to start if you have an ongoing project or if your entire organization need to do that or if you have a set of workloads that you kind of want to estimate like where are we with sustainability then that assessment is a pretty great place to start because it will guide you through asking the questions for the recommendations we have in WAF which means you don't have to go to the WAF and read everything and, and memorize it but instead you can go to the assessment and say ask me the questions and I will try to answer them as best I can and at the end of the day when that is done you will get a report saying all right you nailed all of these things but here's room for improvement. Here's a couple of things you might want to consider. And then it links back to the WAF guidance. You can find more information about that as well. So you have these like different options for working with this. And uh, so there's no real golden rule for how to do it. But as a customer, when I worked a lot with, uh, you know, our various distributed cloud projects that we had deployed all over the world, we did the similar exercise, like go back to the assessments, for example, for security, just do the security assessment in WAF because I needed to understand, am I really doing this the right way? Is there something I haven't thought about? And then the assessment would tell me, well, you did great, but in this area, there's some room for improvement that you might want to consider. And the same now applies for sustainability. Okay, okay, makes sense. Uh, I did have a brief look at the at the sustainability workload and, and one of the one of the ideas that's in there is something called the software carbon intensity specification. There's a formula on, on, on how you factor that in. And I believe this is this is maybe part of the green software foundation as well. So this seems like it's rooted in real science and in this sort of uh, open idea of sharing those findings. So it's not entirely an invention by Microsoft. On, on trying to do green and being sustainable in, in the cloud. So anything else with the principles of green software that, that perhaps would be useful to know? Yeah, so like rounding up GSF, like we talked about, or the Green Software Foundation, first of all, green.foundation, that's a URL. So if you go to green.foundation, you can read more about the foundation itself. 
Uh, they're really building an ecosystem of people, standards, tooling, best practices, and all kinds of stuff. And they are the ones who design the green software principles. And they also outline more projects around green software, carbon aware SDK. And I think we should actually have an episode on that in the future as well, because that is super interesting. And uh, just as a side note, uh, they also create green software patterns, green software test uh, training, the SEI, which is the software carbon intensity specification. So SEI, as an instance, is referenced in the WAF sustainability guidance that we have, and its origin is also rooted within the GSF. So talking about these principles and what they mean, like the GSF designed a set of principles that help software developers really build for a better future. And these principles are, and if you're in the field of green IT, you probably have come across this, they're carbon efficiency, energy efficiency, carbon awareness, hardware efficiency, measuring sustainability, and climate commitments. And kind of each of these recommendations in the new guidance for the Azure Well-Architected Framework with the sustainability guidance, they tie directly into one or more of those principles. So all the recommendations that we have uh, coming into, into the guidance, they're really tied into and rooted in tangible problems that we have. So these different principles like carbon efficiency and stuff like that, um, you know, that means the application should emit the least amount of carbon possible. Energy efficiency should use the least amount of energy possible and carbon awareness. You know, you should do more with the electricity when it's cleaner and do less when the electric electricity is dirtier like we talked in one episode about renewable data centers or data centers running on renewable energy because they open one in Finland and one in Sweden. And we, in our countries, we operate a lot on renewable energy. So we can make decisions saying, well, we know that we're operating a lot with renewable energy and therefore we can really uh, make efforts in, in moving the needle there. So, you know, all of these different principles kind of tie into different things that are um, you know, mapped out and outlined in the Green Software Foundation. So again, that's in the links. You can find links directly to the principles uh, as well as the guidance. Um, so that's like when, when I say the recommendations we have and how they tie in, that's really what we're um, saying, how they tie into the principles. So uh, in the guidance, you will find something called design areas. And here, I think I mentioned that we have uh, security already. Um, like you mentioned. We also have application design. Uh, we have application platform, uh, testing, operational procedures, storage, network, and connectivity. And then, of course, uh, security that we already uh, already talked about. So these are kind of the different um, design areas that exist. And just at, like the high level, I don't want to go into details about each of them because that's what you really can find in the guidance, but just high level. Application design is really cloud application patterns that allows for designing more sustainable workloads. So if you want to optimize something in your apps, that's a great way to, to start looking. Application platform design area, have choices around hosting environment, dependencies, frameworks, and libraries, and stuff like that. Uh, the testing design area has strategies for CI/CD pipelines and automation, and how to really deliver more sustainable software testing as well to ensure you don't have CICD agents, you know, running unnecessarily, just emitting more mm -hmm. carbon if they're not being used and stuff like like how can you really optimize things? Operational procedures is more the, the processes related to sustainable operations within your 
uh, teams, your company, like team, how do you train your team for sustainability? So not necessarily the like technical process, but more the, the human process, like what are our corporate and company processes for really moving the needle in this area. Storage is design choices for making the data storage options more sustainable. And network and, and connectivity, of course, is about network considerations that can really help you reduce traffic and the amount of data transmitted to and from the application. Um, and then finally, security, which has this relevant recommendations to uh, really design more efficient security solutions on Azure. So there's a, a whole lot in there. There's a lot of recommendations. And just to come back to what you said before, um, where you can make a choice of where you deploy things, that's also something we have um, in, in the recommendations here. Uh, and and uh, within, yeah, I think one of the design areas, uh, I think it's actually application platform. We have recommendations like deploy to low carbon regions and then you know the recommendation and why this is important because according to carbon efficiency and that green software foundation principle uh, you should deploy to a low carbon region or carbon that has more renewable energy we have recommendations like processing when the carbon intensity is low uh, choosing data centers close to the customer or to the consumer so for example if you're running workloads and all of your customers are based in West Europe, then it makes perfect sense to deploy to a data center in West Europe, even if your company is in the US, right? So if if there's no data sovereignty rules stopping you from doing that, then from a sustainability perspective, it's it can make perfect sense to put your workloads deployed closer to the consumer so, so you don't have the network traversal and all the latency going back and forth over the network. So just some examples of, you know, making those decisions. And there's a lot of this stuff in the guidance. So um, high level, um, I think that's without going into details of all the recommendations, because that's really where the juice is. Uh, you, you will find, you know, all the, the juicy details within each of these design areas. But I think I will leave it to everyone tuning in to go visit the guidance, take a look. Uh, you can use the link in the show notes for that and just start looking into these things. Really, really good information here. And if you don't want to find the show notes, perhaps you're on the move, just go to aka.ms slash WAF and then select workloads and, and sustainability. Looking looking at the, um, for example, in design areas in sustainability, looking at the application platform, there's really solid advice that pertains obviously to sustainability, but also for best practices, like you should utilize auto scaling and, and bursting capabilities and spot VMs and so on. This is really interesting. I really need to essentially read through everything that's in here in the sustainability to sort of get the big picture. And then I know where I need to go for the small details. Alrighty. I'm exhausted with sustainability. I, I think I am in the know, at least on a, on a basic level here. Anything else you would add before we move on to the unexpected question? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of things to say about this, but I intentionally want to keep it short so everyone can go and, and take a look at the guidance themselves. But the one thing I want to round off with is in order to become more sustainable, you need to understand where you are right now as well. So figure that out first. And that's part of the guidance as well, uh, like measuring sustainability and understanding your emissions. So 
uh, understand emission scopes and what they are, uh, understand how you can measure and track carbon impact. Uh, there are different ways to do that. Um, you have the emissions impact dashboard, for example, from Microsoft, which is a Power BI app, both for Azure and 365. Uh, you can leverage the Microsoft Sustainability Manager if you use the Microsoft Cloud for sustainability. You can build a proxy solution to measure emissions. So there are various options to measure sustainability. And I think that's the key to start with, like figuring out where are we today on our journey. And however you measure that, it just needs to be something you can measure over time so you can see that you're actually improving. Um, so figure that out first. Take that as the first kind of thing on the bucket list. Where are we today? What are the things we need to improve on? And after we have optimized our workloads and improved it, how can we see that? How can we measure that? Because if you cannot measure it, you cannot really know if you had a, a tangible impact. So figure that out first. That's that's my solid advice when it comes to sustainability. If you don't know um, what what you've optimized, or if you don't know how it's been optimized, then it's really difficult to to claim that you're also driving sustainability forward. Okay, okay, makes sense. Good stuff. So head on over to the well-architected framework. Have a look at sustainability in the workloads. Let us know, perhaps on on Twitter or or through the uh, uh, website, reach out and, and share your insights if you're planning on using this or if you've already had a chance to have a look at this. Alrighty, the last bit, the unexpected question. And Toby, it is going to be my turn to ask you, are you ready? Let's go. So this is an eternal problem and the Christmas time is fast approaching. What defines a great Christmas tree? So when you go to the Christmas market, perhaps a week prior to Christmas Eve, how do you choose a Christmas tree that you're planning on bringing home so that everybody's satisfied with that selection? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And like this brings back memories from when I was a kid where my dad asked, hey, do you want to go out into the forest with an axe and, and a saw and we'll just find a tree and cut it down? Because in, in Sweden, we have these areas where there's a lot of forest and they grow the Christmas trees or, or just pine trees, and and they allow you to say, hey, whatever you find in here, you can cut it down. As long as you take it home, you'll have to pay for it, but you have to take it home as well. You cannot just cut it down and then, oh, I changed my mind. Uh, so we did that a lot, and, and that was like a full day adventure going out into the woods and finding the perfect tree and measuring it and will it fits and all that. But, you know, these days, uh, a great Christmas tree, like the definition of that is just it needs to fit not be too tall. So whatever dimensions you have in your room, it should not be all the way to the roof, at least or to the ceiling. I don't think so. There should be a little bit room uh, left. But other than that, you know, I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of uh, opinions, if you will. Uh, it just have to be kind of symmetrical, not entirely, not necessarily, but kind of symmetrical. So you don't have all the branches on, on one side and nothing on the left or the other side. And choosing one in the Christmas market, it's funny here in Sweden because we we don't really have a single Christmas market or, or something like that, that we go shop our trees. All the supermarkets we have, like a, a grocery store, outside of them, they always put out these uh, fences and in the middle they put all the Christmas trees that someone else cut down for you and you can just go and, and select one of those. Or what we actually did in recent years, we went to one of the hardware stores like Bauhaus, uh, which is something that we have a lot here, um, 
so in the hardware stores, they're also doing this this now. So essentially the same, probably the same Christmas tree truck coming from the same forest is driving and dumping a bunch of stuff over there. And they say, hey, you can just pick a tree and we'll take care of everything. They put it into this net so you can just carry it easily home and unpack it. So we actually did that the last two years and that also went really well. But we did drop our opinions on the Christmas tree. It doesn't need to be perfect. It just need to fit. Because at the end of the day, my opinion is no longer important. I have two kids. It's their opinion that's important. If they're happy, I'm happy. And so far, they've been happy. That's solid advice. What I've tried for the past couple of years, when we go to a market and, and we find somebody who's selling the Christmas trees, I open the discussion by saying, how much do they cost and why are they so expensive? And sometimes it works in getting a slight discount. Alrighty, thank you for tuning in again. We will have a fresh episode for you again next week on Wednesday. All right, see you then.